Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another special episode of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show as we talk about this matchup against El Salvador as the United States wipes the floor with El Salvador by a final of six goals to nil. It was an amazing performance by these players most of them, their first time uh, with their first call-up for the U.S. men's national team. And we all know <clears throat> El Salvador is not a very good opponent. We all know that they're not stronger or one of the strongest sides in this confederation. But still, you got to play somebody, and that somebody was them, El Salvador, and the United States wiped them off the pitch. Joining me right now, former Fox Soccer Channel's uh, presenter and play-by-play voice of the Portland Timbers, of course, all the way from sunny Southern California. Christian Miles joins me to talk about this matchup. Um, when you watch a match like this, what is the first thing you think of, Christian, when you're seeing them take on true, lesser opponent, but the way they did it in the fashion they did it in? Uh, I'd call it a waylay, Danny, if I had to <laughs> sum it up in one word. I mean, it was <laughs> one-way traffic. It was kind of a you know, a mismatch of, of men against boys on a training ground. The U.S. bossed it, you know, from the get-go. Five goals in ten minutes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think you're kind of touching on the the essence of this whole game. Yes, it, it, there's not much you can really take out of this game, considering, the, you know, the state of the opponent. But what you can take is you can only play what's in front of you. And this is a, a squad that, Greg Berhalter is going to evaluate to fill out the fringes of his squad for the, the, the tournaments that take the most priority in 2021, while also trying to fill out all of these squads, even down to the under 23 level. And what is going to be a real hectic 2021? And you talk about CONCACAF Nations League, you talk about Gold Cup, you talk about going to Tokyo with the under 23s and Jason Kreis's team. And then, of course, World Cup qualifying late in 2021. So these guys, you know, they had a lot to prove to themselves. They had a lot to prove to Burhalter, and, and to credit to Burhalter, he's, he's bled in more youngsters than any other coach in the, in the history of the U.S. men's national team program. And you know, nobody really did themselves any injustice today. Everybody got everything right, and uh, it's really hard to find any fault whatsoever with what transpired tonight in, in Florida. No, I agree. And uh, to see them do it so quickly, like you said, five goals in 10 minutes, never expected that. But I want to talk, talk about a player who I've been high on ever since the MLS is back tournament began <clears throat> back in June, July uh, with, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the start of that tournament at the Walt Disney world resort complex at the uh, ESPN wild world of sports. Chris Mueller, this kid has really showed up, and he has been amazing to watch. Great feet, great technique. 
I mean, he was all over the pitch in the first half. He probably should have had a hat trick in this game, period. But I'll take the two goals and the assist in the back pocket any day of the week. Yeah, absolutely. He ran the channels. You know, you talk about his – he had a brilliant first touch before uh, his first goal on his debut, which was called offside. Very, very close call. But he he was fantastic. It's kind of a – you know, the the continuing story of Chris Miller, who, you know, came to light uh, at the MLS's back tournament and has just kind of grown and gone from strength to strength since. I I thought he – had a good uh, work ethic about him, managed to get in behind the right fullback, created all kinds of havoc, um, didn't face much of a, of a stiff test in terms of that Salvadorian back four, but when the opportunity presented itself, he got in, put himself about. Not only uh, did we see his, his nose for goal and his, his instincts in front of the net, but we also saw his unselfish capabilities to link up with others uh, and, and and combine well with others in the attacking third. So I thought he's quitted himself very well, if not the best of all the American players. And, you know, you had to tip your hat, of course, to uh, I thought Paul Ariola put in a very good shift. Uh, those of the uh, listeners that, you know, know the story of Ariola who had that, you know, preseason ACL injury and just recently came back for DC United. He came back and, you know, provided that infectious, hardworking energy that, he has provided over the years at uh, mm-hmm. wherever he's been, both internationally and the club level. It's impressive performances all the way around. Seba Leggett, uh acquitted himself rather well as one of the more experienced uh, campaigners for Greg Berhalter. And, uh, but, yeah, going back to Miller, it's a kid, I think, that has a real bright future and, and he could really stake a, uh, stake a, a claim for himself uh, for that World Cup qualification roster, which will be set sometime in late August. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I can say is this is that, you know, on the broadcast, you know, Taylor Twelman talks about you might need to have three groups uh, or three three teams to do, you know, separate all these tournaments for next year because you don't want to burn anyone out. And I'll say this right now. I would expect Miller to either be, you know, for that second uh, group or that third group. I'm not saying it's a bad thing or or trying to push him away from the first group. But the truth is, is that. If you allow him to at least – I don't know how old he is. I'm assuming he'll at least be available um, for either the Olympics or for the CONCACAF Gold Cup, maybe even the Nations League. We'll have to wait and see what's going to happen. But i got to say that I am not scared, nor am I afraid. I'm not afraid to put in Chris Miller into any group available right now for the U.S. Men's National Team and for Greg Berhalter. Uh, and I'll get to him a little bit later. Uh, right now – He's picking some pretty good players right now for those two friendlies that were in Europe and the friendly that just ended tonight. Yeah, he has. I mean, you know, this is kind of what he's he, he's tasked with at this point, you know, considering the odd circumstances with the current pandemic. And, you know, got a good look at the, the fine crop of, of European players, which is going to feature eight U.S. men's national teamers in the knockout stages of the UEFA Champions League. Um, so we know we've got a situation in, in terms of uh, the first team that is going to be headlining for the U.S. come World Cup qualification. We've got a lot of competitions for spots. And if you know this game and, and you're a fan of this game, you know that is essential to developing a strong squad. You, you don't want people becoming complacent. You don't want them um, you know, becoming a little bit passive in terms of their uh, outputs and, and 
you know, basically be comfortable with their place in the squad. Nice to have those competitions for spots. And that's what these young guys are doing. They're pushing them from behind, nipping at the heels. And, and these European players, well, yes, they have been outstanding at the club level. We still haven't seen what they can produce at the international level. The potential is there. But with these young guys, like the Millers, like the Ariolas, like we saw tonight with Ayo Akinola and even Brendan Aronson, who's going to join that European crop uh, next month with RB Salzburg. It, it will be nice to have them pushing those youngsters. I believe that's the key to every successful program when you look across the world to the, to the French youth national team setup, which has been so fantastic on bringing young players throughout the years, even the England setup, you know, uh, throughout 2015 to the present day. And, and of course, we all know about the renowned setups with Brazil and Argentina and such. Those are the keys. You want those kids pushing them from behind, and that makes those older players that may think that they're secure, not so secure in their spot and play that much harder and give that much more and, and get the best out of everyone. So when you're getting everyone you know, hitting on all cylinders like that, the youngsters push, pushing from behind, vying for a spot, able to step in when the chips are down and, and, and prove themselves like they have been tonight and, and ready themselves for perhaps the chance to step into a World Cup qualification match or this different competition like the Gold Cup and it's a good sign, and it gives Greg Greg Berhalter a lot of problems, but a lot of problems most international managers want to have. No, absolutely. And, you know, when you see some of these players, and going back to Brendan Aronson, um, the way he worked the midfield uh, with some of his teammates in tonight's match, and obviously a great goal he scored. I know it got the, a little bit of deflection uh, to hit the back of the net, but still, though, I think when you see a player like that, who has been absolutely fantastic for the Philadelphia Union, now moving in with Jesse Marsh in Austria at Red Bull Salzburg. And Jesse Marsh has really made a name for himself in Austrian football at this point in time. We can't forget the rant he had in the, uh, at the cop in the Champions League matchup against Liverpool. But uh, all you can say is, is that you think Aronson is going to, you know, he had a pretty good time with uh, Jim Curtin. Wait till he gets over with Jesse Marsh at Salzburg because this kid is really going to have an eye-opener for a higher level of pressing, counter-pressing, you know, clogging up the middle, preventing uh, the defense, or should I say preventing the opposition uh, to try and get a ball into the back of the net, of their net. This guy is going to be, you know, in a plethora of brilliant managers right now for his uh, career. I think Aronson's walking into the perfect situation with RB Salzburg and, and a guy like Jesse Marsh, who I've, I've known over the years. Jesse Marsh has, you know, overseen some of the development of talents like Erling Braut Holland, who has you know captured the world's imagination and, and part of that RB oh, yeah. Salzburg team, as you mentioned, you know, pushed Liverpool to the limits in last year's UEFA Champions League and is you know right back in the mix amongst European competition. Jesse was a, a hard-nosed, gritty midfielder but he was a cerebral midfielder and I, I remember covering him during the days and having some discussions with him over the years and knowing he is going to be the quintessential manager having been the field boss throughout his days going back to you know the 1998 Chicago Fire team that won MLS Cup in their first year in existence he's walking into a great situation joins Tyler Adams there's a nice great American familiarity Jim Curtin and Jesse Marsh are very good friends. They go back to their playing days with that 98 Chicago Fire team 
through their later stages, you know, with Chivas USA, and they've been in touch and communicating about the progress of Aronson. There's a nice pipeline of fluidity and continuity between them. Um, and Aronson, he's ready to take that next step. It's a kid that, you know, his technique is, is obvious on show, but bases that he takes up, the runs that he makes are timely. He, he shows it, at, for me, an intelligence and where to pop up and what is needed at the right time well beyond his years. And he wasn't put to the test tonight. And, you know, it wasn't a chance for him to really showcase the best of his abilities, but he's a kid that, you know, drip between the lines. He'll take up spots. He'll play in others. He's got a wonderful delivery, great nose for goal, two-footed, whatever you want, basically, as an attacking, you know, number 10 or even a, you know, withdrawn striker. He can provide that and play a variety of roles deeper in midfield as well. So I'm anxious to see him. very excited to see he's a little bit lightweight right now. I'd like to see him pick it up a little bit, but he's young. And he's walking into a great situation in the Austrian Bundesliga amidst a, a great coaching staff that has proven themselves. And um, it'll nice to be have that American coaching at the club level who's in such close contact uh, with the U.S. men's national team programs. So at the, it, in terms of checking all the boxes in that move for Aronson, it's great. And he, he continues, like Chris Miller and a lot of these guys and Sebastian Leggett, to go from strength to strength. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, the one guy I'm really happy for tonight is Paul Ariola. Um, not yeah. just scoring the goal, but to see him recovering from the torn ACL he had uh, in the preseason and just to miss an entire season. Thank God he had at least one match at DC United before the season was over with. But <clears throat> he's a guy, and I'll use a hockey term uh, for him, high motor. This guy is infectious. He makes his teammates believe that they can go out there, play at the top of their level, and get three points all the time, whether it be for D.C. United or the U.S. men's national team. Paul Ariola finds a way. He absolutely finds a way to get everybody on the same page, and he pushes them. If it's not verbally, it's by the execution of his play every time he has the ball at his feet or when he has to defend. This guy deserved his goal. This guy played perfectly as the right fullback in this one. He is really someone that the U.S. men's national team really needs. I think he's someone – I, I look at Paul Ariola and, you know, I, I think of infectious energy and work rate. And I think of the old U.S. men's national team programs that came up, you know, at the, the turn of the millennium and specific reference to that 2002 team where – they, you know, they they outworked people. They defended. They dug in. They gritted. They knew that hey, we're perhaps not technically the best, but you're not going to outwork us, and we are not going to give an inch. We're going to fight for every blade of grass. I think Paul Ariola kind of encapsulates that type of, of philosophy and credo, where you know the guy just runs his socks off. And I was amazed. And I know it's been about you know eight or nine months since since his ACL. Uh, tear in preseason for DC United, but to see him recover, he looked, you know, as sharp as a tack out there, making those runs, you know, tracking back, great two-way player. He'll win balls. He'll play it in. I mean, I was is improved with, uh, impressed with him on the defensive side of the game, able to win balls, track back, and do his part as I was with him, you know, facing up against defenders and running the channels, whether, you know, be wide on the right-hand side and 
or tucking in and letting Julian Araujo make a few adventuresome runs forward. Uh, it's nice to see him do well. And, you know, he's a guy he's, uh, it's, it's going to lift the spirits too. I mean, it provides the intangible kind of optimistic outlook and, and, and a triumph of this, of the spirit, you know, or he's just going to work himself back into contention. And you got to look at him and the body language and between he and his coach, uh, Greg Berhalter, and, and you know he's one of the the coach's favorites, and every coach wants to have a player like that that's going to sacrifice himself. Um, Paul Ariola, in my estimation, can't have a bad game. He's that kind of player. He won't let himself have a bad game. Yeah, his first touch may let him down. He may miss a chance or two, but in terms of sheer output, quality, and graft, it's almost unmatched. It really is. It really is, and just to see him really develop and. Uh, you know, get into a better position uh, for the national team, <clears throat> whether it was through Bruce Arena, um, Jurgen Klinsmann, now with Greg Berhalter. I, I just think maybe tactically uh, he has improved himself. Uh, even though he's been out for a long time, I still feel he's improved himself tactically whenever his number gets called out there for Greg Berhalter. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, tonight we saw a lot of him on the right-hand side and he had a good understanding with Julian Orao, a kid that's just, you know, 18 years old, making his debut. That's always tough to establish. I thought he provided a, you know, there's, there's kinds of leaders that will, you know, yap at you and snap at the heels and get into each other's faces. But then there's guys like him who just, you know, can just run their socks off basically and provide that example to these youngsters that says, you know, this is the, this is what is required. This is how hard you have to get after it. And what an example to set. And, for a young group, I mean, this the average age of this group tonight was four years younger than the South Salvadorian team. And I think it was hovering just around 23 years and 95 days with the average being about, you know, six or seven caps for this U.S. squad. So to have that kind of veteran leadership and work ethic and, and be exemplary like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, really sets the tone and, and gives these young players – something to look up to is something of an objective that they can emulate to, to take to the next level. Oh, absolutely. And Arahu, who you're talking about earlier, um, that was a great cross to Miller for the diving header to get his second goal of the night, uh, two goals in his uh, debut uh, men's national team match for Miller. But still though, the cross was exquisite. It was pinpoint accurate to get to Miller, to bury that ball, to make it at the time um, 4-0, I believe. So I just I have to say that, you know, that midfield right up in the, in the fourth goal, that midfield right now, if you want to, you know, pinpoint some other players, San Jose Earthquakes, Jackson Ewell, um, I think he yep. quietly had a very good game, quietly. I know he assisted um, – at least he assisted uh, on the second goal, uh, which was Chris Miller's first goal. But you can tell how well he had the ball at his feet. You saw how well he was able to move around the pitch without the ball and put his teammates in perfect positions to attempt a shot on frame at as much as possible. He really worked fantastically, fantastically in the midfield. Quiet game. Got an assist, but still, though, he was just in and out without any problems. You know, you're, you're, you're kind of speaking, preaching to the choir, because Julian Arau is a player I see week in and week out covering uh, the L.A. Galaxy. 
for Galaxy Radio. And I think this kid, everybody talks about the youngsters like Aronson, and they talk about Efrain Alvarez first and foremost. But this kid, Julian Araujo, is going to be something special. I think he is the right back of the future for the U.S. men's national team. You know, not much was required of him tonight. And, yes, he did deliver a great ball, but, you know, like a lot of the rest of the U.S. players, there wasn't much in front of him in terms of stiff opposition. Julian is a kid. He's able to run forward, link up with attack, provide the tackles. He provides grit. To me, he's like an old-fashioned fullback, Um, a guy that's going to, you know, basically cover every blade of grass from byline to byline and, um, you know, somebody who's, you know, kind of a, the embodiment of, a, of an old fashioned player. And, and then you, you you bring into the likes of these old uh, other young players like Jackson Ewell, who had a chance to see in his, his freshman year coming straight out of Bloomington, Minnesota, when he joined up with the UCLA Bruins and I was, the doors were blown off me. I, he, he played in a, a similar role for the Bruins when he was playing in that number six, kind of what we saw tonight in an inverted triangle when he had the likes of Sebastian Legette sitting in front of him, as well as Brennan Aronson to provide him a little bit more of a front support, but he can distribute the ball. He gets stuck in, he wins balls, but he's got a great vision for the field. And he's able to kind of, kind of able to knit that protection from in front of that back four, and translate it forward, a work transition, and knit it into the attack so seamlessly. Uh, he's been doing it for the Quakes all year. He's one of those guys that's kind of bought into Almeida's system, um, and now we're starting to see it, you know, pay off here at the international level. I think a player like Muller, who, you know, acquitted himself really well tonight, but you know, Jackson Ewell is one of those guys where, yeah, he's younger. I don't know about his age restriction right now in terms of being on the. U.S. men's under-23 team, but he's right there or thereabouts. But certainly he's put himself into the mix for selection at the Gold Cup. Um, and I, I, can't, I can't say enough good things about those two. I think Julian Araujo is, is really something special. I, I expect you know, Bundesliga scouts have been sniffing around him. Uh, and Carson, as of late, he's always one of the chief topics of inquiry from these European scouts. Uh, and a guy that certainly you know, has a bright future, both at the international and club level. The biggest task I think that Greg Perhalter is going to have right now, who do you integrate and mesh with the pl- American players are in Europe right now and the players in MLS right now with really rise or at least risen their stock up to a certain point? And I maybe have to ask that question to your kids. But anyway, um <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, if I can say this, you know, I, I, this is going to be the toughest job Burhalter is ever going to have. I mean, you know, I, I, not to say that, you know, we've, we trusted in Bruce Arena in the past, Bob Bradley in the past, who's always had an eye for everyone and everyone. I'm not saying Greg Burhalter can't do it, but with the amount of talent we have with the top European clubs like Weston McKinney and Juventus, Tyler Adams at Red Bull Leipzig in Germany, uh, as you said, Chris Johnson is over with Bayern Munich, um, Weston McKenney with Juventus, who scored an amazing Champions League goal uh, against Barcelona. And, you know, and at Barcelona, you have Sergino Dest and Conrad de la Fuente uh, over there and Christian Pulisic with Chelsea. This is going to be probably the hardest year for 2021 with all these tournaments moving forward. This is going to be the hardest year 
that Greg Berhalter is going to have to manage the rosters and the camps before these tournaments or even World Cup qualifying gets underway. Oh, he's, but you know, it's a good problem to have right now. I mean, an embarrassment of riches never, we're in unprecedented territory right now with the U.S. men's national team in terms of, you know, quality at the club level and all the players that you mentioned flourishing, not just, you know, filling out the rosters, but, you know, players that are, you know, chiefly involved in it and making key contributions throughout. I mean, Dest is, you know, featuring regularly for Barcelona on the right-hand side of Coleman's back four. We're seeing Weston McKinney really learning and elevating his craft after making that move from Schalke to Juventus and, you know, becoming that quintessential late arriver in the penalty area and, and you know, making vital goal-scoring contributions um, even, you know, the likes of a Yunus Musa, who's, who's becoming a regular fixture at the Valencia program. And, you know, it, it's going to give him a headache. I mean, the poor guy's got so much Greg Berhalter to, to take in right now. So many competitions. He's going to be a busy man. Uh, but I tell you what, these are, you know, problems that he'll be first in line to raise his hand. And say, you know what? I'll take that problem. I'd like to have that problem because, you know, the converse is something that you really don't want to have to come across. It, it's, I don't want to call it an embarrassment of riches, but certainly a slight treasure trove of options might be a good way to go about it. It's a good problem to have. It really is. And, and you think to yourself, you know, there's still Josh Sargent that you have to see him, how he's going to be up here on a regular basis for the national team. I mean, you still need to look and watch what, you know, what Giovanni Reina does. And that's the one guy I love actually for Borussia Dortmund yeah. right now. I know he's son of Claudio I know he's the son of Claudio Reyna and you know to have the the genes of your father to go, you know, up and down the pitch. Still though, you can tell he has his own moves. He can think on his own. He can really relate with everybody on Dortmund, especially the connection he has with Erling Holland as we mentioned before the Norwegian superstar. Um my god, I I mean, you know, to have him call Giovanni Reina the American dream after a post on a post match press conference, you know he's something special. And I don't want to say he may have overtaken Christian Pulisic. I think Pulisic, Pulisic is still there. But to have maybe, if you want to say, you know, Pulisic and Reina in the same midfield, and then you might have up top. If I'm going nuts, you can you can stop me. You know, it's fine. Uh, have Miller up top. Maybe with Sargent, maybe, uh, you know, somebody else, uh, you know, that's ready to go. And then, of course, you have Aronson maybe in the middle of the field as well. And you, you have to keep one spot at least for a defensive midfielder or a sweeper to go out there and do some damage defensively. You know, and that's probably Tyler Adams. But I'll, I'll tell you right now, Christian, you know, there's a lot of, you know, mixing and matching probably going on in Burhalter's head along with his staff that says, you know, how am I going to get this done and, and where will it get done? I, you know, this is a great problem to have, not just for him, but, you know, for commentators, for fans of the national team to finally say, hey, listen, the future's bright. We see the problems. Let's see what we can do in these next uh, bunch of matches, uh, friendlies or tournaments. Yeah, I agree. And they, but one thing, you know, for all the accolades and all the potential, we, we – we here tend to get carried away with potential and how bright the future is. But let's bear in mind here, this group has not delivered anything. And they're coming off 
a very sure. low bar. In fact, the lowest bar. And, and we've seen it throughout football history where you've got an, an amalgamation of fantastic talents and, you know, the, going back to the golden generation of Portugal, you know, from the, the turn of the, the millennium from the late nineties, just because you have a great amalgamation of individual talent doesn't translate into a successful product on the pitch. Yes, of course you want to have that. Obviously, and any manager does, you want to have quality at your disposal because when the chips are down, individual quality can bail you out in a moment's notice. But this is what's great about it. And I understand why everybody gets so enraptured and so excited is because this is a problem and a luxury that we've never had before. We're in uncharted territory when you talk about the, you know, the litany of players that are flourishing, um, you know, abroad right now. And the, and the young players that are, are showing their stuff here in, uh, at the international level, at the club level as well. So, but we, we have to ground this in reality. You know, they haven't done anything yet. They haven't played a meaningful, real meaningful game yet with this first team, with all of these uh, European players that come in with, you know, the big contracts and the high accolades and individual accomplishments. It doesn't mean a thing until they get it done. And go back to the 2002 World Cup qualification team that made it, you know, within a whisker of the quarterfinals. And this is a team that didn't have any individual accolades, hardly any at all. I mean, yes, a few, a smattering of players playing like Claudio Reyna and Frankie Hayduk overseas and maybe a Clint Mathis, but in comparison to the present day, it's not much. But look what that team did. They grafted their way. They came together. They, they were great. They were greater than, they were the, you know, greater than some of their parts, basically. And I'm hoping that this group, if they can encapsulate that type of mentality and come together as a team, like we've seen the old school USA teams that, you know, were able to grind out results and win and, you know, win those wars of attrition and come together as a team, then that's when you have something special. That's something that I, I'm so excited to see and we probably won't see it till later in 2021, you know, when the rubber starts to hit the road in World Cup qualification and, you know, competition for spots really thickens. But that's what we have to see. And can Borhalter, you know, manage those egos? Because these are guys that are coming in. They're going to come in with egos like U.S. players have not had before. You know, these guys are going to come in, hey, I play in, you know, for Champions League. I play alongside Cristiano Ronaldo. I play for Borussia Dortmund. So these guys are going to have egos to, that are going to have to be managed. Burhalter is going to have to manage that. And so will the under-23 coach like Jason Christ. And this is – as much as it's uncharted territory to have these type of players, that's also uncharted territory for American coaches to have to deal with that kind of player and mold that those collection of individuals into a real strong, cohesive team unit. And that's the big test. I think that's going to be the next leap because, you know, we all know, and it's pretty obvious. It's, you know, I mean, captain obvious that individually, you know, one through 11, they've got enough to get to, you know, the world cup to qualify. The question is, what are they going to do? How are they going to come together as a team? And, and, and they're going to start blowing away the opposition and be that the team that, as a team, lives up to the individual quality that they have man for man. The one thing I think is a big negative at this moment, and normally it's never been a negative, but in my opinion, I think goalkeeping has not been the standard. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves here. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to go all the way back to Tony Mi- I don't want to go back to all the way to Tony Miola, but let's be Why honest, not? we haven't – well, because there's been some good <laughs> goalkeepers after him, that's for sure. Tim Howard, for one. You know, good old, good old yeah. Timmy has been, you know, rock uh, in net 
for uh, the U.S. men's national team. You know, very athletic, very flamboyant as goalkeeper. But the truth is, um, I mean, maybe Brad Guzan, you know, he's still a good goalkeeper. He's done some good things with Atlanta United, of course, and... But, I mean, do I feel Zach Steffen has done anything? I don't know what he's doing at Manchester City right now. Maybe he's at least on the bench as a backup, but the truth is we can't have him on the bench. I mean, I know it's tough to uh, remove the current starting keeper at Man City, but, you know, who are we seeing right now? I mean, we haven't seen Horvath do much. I know he's had a pretty good game uh, in Champions League uh, for the Belgian side, I believe, um, I think it's Anderlecht, but I'm not quite sure, to be honest, where he is at currently. But, you know, uh, Zach Steffen, like I said, um, I'm not really convinced about him right now. I mean, I deemed him as the future starting goalkeeper when he was with Columbus. But because he hasn't gotten much playing time with Man City, he's only had a spattering here and there. I don't know about uh, Zach Steffen right now. Uh, Bill Hamid, uh, you know, look, um, he was the perfect starter for this match against El Salvador, but I don't know if he's the one, you know, that will get an opportunity, uh, well, maybe in one of these teams, of course, but I just don't feel confident with him uh, as a starter. Not because I'm a Red Bulls fan and there's a hatred for DC United. (laughs) I always take that out of the equation. I just don't know if he is at the level where you can still trust him in a big-time international tournament match. I, uh, I saw the team you know, when it was announced. I'm like, God, Bill Hamid has been playing for the U.S. men's national team forever. I think he, he got his first cap in, in 2008. I'm not sure, but you know, it's a guy that's been around forever. It just kind of really hasn't progressed into all of the hype that everybody had him. Uh, pegged for back in the you know the old days at DC United and you know I think you make a good point perhaps that's the one area on the pitch where the U.S. is you know devolved and 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 over the years and you go back to the heady days and I'll do it back to Miola but you know the, the heady days of Friedel and Keller and you know and of course you know surmised by Tim Howard's brilliance um, throughout the last 10 to 15 years so big shoes to fill obviously, but it is an area where you can't say the current crop has elevated itself upon, um, you know, in comparison to the predecessors. Um, and, and as far as Zach Steffen, I, I'm, 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 I'm stupefied at why he went back to Manchester City. I'm, I'm without the agreement for a loan because you know, wherever you are, whether you're in Major League Soccer and you're at the Columbus Crew or you're, you know, you're playing for RB Salzburg, you're playing for Telstar, you know, in the Dutch second division, what Every player needs his playing time. They need minutes. He was getting it at Dusseldorf last year, um, you know, playing in, in, for the Bundesliga. His loan expired. He went back and, and, and you know, decided to fight for a spot along, uh, against Ederson. But, you know, he's not quite to that capability yet. I think he's a young man who needs to go out on loan. And he needs to go out to, you yeah. know, an English top flight team um, or, you know, or abroad in the top flight, but to get that experience and, and keep himself sharp because he's not doing anybody in good, mostly himself, by sitting on the bench and, and coming in and playing the odd FA Cup or, or League Cup game when Manchester City needs it. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing him maybe in the championship, maybe League One or League Two. I mean, it's not a, cr- it's not a crime to not be in the Premier League. The point is, is that, 
You're considered the future of the U.S. men's national team. You have to find your minutes somewhere. You can't fight for your place. And I agree with you. Either go on loan or transfer to a club that will give you the minutes you need so that you will be able to go back into the Premier League. You will be on a top-flight squad that you can go out there. I mean, we don't know how long David De Gea has left with Manchester United, but if you can play those minutes and you play for a lower division side that you can give them a surprising run, then you'll say maybe Manchester United, maybe Newcastle, maybe even Liverpool would say, you know what, I want that keeper, and we're going to start him. That's the only way you leave that lower division side and go to a Premier League side is if you tell them, listen, if you want me, then you want me. Not because I'm there to fill depth. I'm there to start and give, and give you victories for the club, and we will win the Premier League trophy. That's what he's got to do, and that's how he's got to force the hand of some of these clubs in the lower divisions and also to, give, to get back into the Premier League or at least a club that's in the first division of their league in their, in the, in their proper country. Yeah, I mean, first-team football. You know, it's necessary. If you're going to grow, that's what you need to do. The higher the level you're playing against, the better you're going to get. It's pretty simple. Even if he's got to come back here on loan and play in Major League Soccer, if he's getting games week in and week out and keeping himself sharp, keeping himself fit, and gets into a good situation, um, and he can grow as a player and then you know perhaps go back in a year or two and, and compete with Ederson or compete for the number one job at City or, or move on to another club, at the European level, he, you know, he's cleared to play. He's, he's cleared all the bureaucratic hurdles to, you know, as far as uh, becoming licensed to play in Europe. Um, and that's a big battle for Americans that don't have, you know, European descent or able to qualify on your behind him. He's already in the mix. And back here, you know, I'm sure he wouldn't want to do it. It's behind him. But if it means first team football, it's worth consideration. Um, you know, he's, you got to think he's competing against the likes of a Bill Hamid. Uh, he's got tremendous upside, a better upside than Hamid, in my opinion. But even, a, you know, going up against a Brad Gazan, who's putting himself in the fold as well, has got to be considered amongst the top, you know, U.S. men's national team goalkeepers in contention for, you know, a starting role at World Cup qualification. So, you know, Brad's a little long the tooth, but he's still a very good keeper. And, you know, we're talking about competition for spots and all those midfield roles for the U.S., likewise at goalkeeper, and uh, even though perhaps the quality isn't what it used to be, you know, 10, 15 years ago, only by having that competition is it going to get better and, until the next big thing comes along. I think Stefan has got it. I think he's a keeper that can do it. I think he wants to do it. Um, the way he's going about it, personally for me, I, I just don't believe that he's in the best situation to best grow for what he wants to do, both at the club level and internationally. Yeah. No, I agree with you there. I definitely agree with you there. So he needs to understand, you know, look, if he wants to fight for spots, good for him. But, you know, there's a time and a place where either you're going to fight for a spot or you're going to fight for a spot to get you minutes to play for Greg Berhalter and the national team. Because as of right now, it just feels like goalkeeper is not uh, as strong as it once was. And like you said, there's big shoes to fill, you know, very big shoes to fill to move forward and try and get uh, into a position where you want to, you know, solidify your spot as a starting goalkeeper for the U.S. men's national team. To go back now with CONCACAF, 
this is how everything has been, you know, set up. We're not worried about the first round. Obviously, that's for the lower uh, ranked teams in the rankings of CONCACAF. You don't have to worry about the second round, of course, when you have uh, the goal aggregate series that's going to be in June. You have to worry about now the final round. It's going to start in 2021, as you said, late August, beginning of September, October, November, and then the, then the two months in 2022 in January and March. Christian, it's been unheard of, but they've had no choice. With the exception of a November international calendar where you're going to have two days to fight for three points each, there will be three match days in September and October of 2021, January and March of 2022 before the actual draw happens in April of 2022. Three match days, which means either you're only allowed a complementary of players normally, or you might have to be asking for more roster spots just so you can compete having three match days in a single week. And you know as well as I do, once the weekend of league games are over, that first day of the international calendar in the month of September and October, that's got to be, you would say, at least um, maybe a Wednesday match, a Friday or Saturday match, and maybe a Tuesday match or a Wednesday, depending on how FIFA will be, uh, you know, uh, pushing or admitting we got to at least extend our calendars into Wednesday because that's a lot of space. That's a lot of time. And you might have to sit one player for at least one match and let them play two. Or if they're going to use one as a substitute, he becomes a starter the next, the next game. Well, you're talking about a congested fixture schedule. That's kind of the the, the point of this, and yeah, and then, and then it speaks to the the greater issue is you're going to need squad depth, especially considering the current pandemic and you know the congested fixture list, which has presented itself as a, a byproduct of that, and so that makes you know puts the onus on on a deep squad more so than any time we've ever seen in world football. And just adding to that, you know, like we've talked about throughout is the further congestion provided with all the other competitions, whether it's CONCACAF Nations League, Olympic qualifying, the Olympics coming up in, in the summertime, CONCACAF Gold Cup as well. It's going to get crowded. Guys are going to drop. Then you have club commitments. So guys are going to get crowded. Um, it's going to be crowded fixture list, obviously, but also there's going to be injuries. Um, throwing club commitments here, that's a lot, a lot of football. It's going to take its toll. There are going to be some heartbreaks along the way where guys go down with injury. And you're going to need guys like Chris Miller to be able to make that transition, perhaps as one of the fringe players at the top senior level to stepping into more of a prominent, you know, first 15, 18 guy role for Greg Berhalter come World Cup qualification. You're going to need depth more than ever. And that's where tonight's exercise, I find, was paramount because, you know, let's be honest, a lot of these guys aren't going to crack the first, you know, maybe 15 most of them are going to fill out the fringes of the squads from spots, maybe, you know, 13 all the way to 23. And that's kind of, I think, what's in the back of Greg Berhalter's mind, but also the fact that these are guys that, you know, Jason Price could utilize uh, for the U.S. men's national team Olympic qualification and guys that can come in and, and rotate in the summer, um, you know, at the, at the Gold Cup and then you throw in the Nations League and then the Olympic qualifying. 
there's going to be squad rotation, and you need depth for squad rotation, fact and simple. And, and then you know, just to add, just to you know, add a little bit more of salt to the wounds and complicate matters further, then you've got to throw in a club competition in the United States here with Major League Soccer. How that fits in, because that directly affects and is a direct correlation to how things transpire for the U.S. men's national team, particularly with the Gold Cup, which is not traditionally um, sanctioned by FIFA and adhering to FIFA dates and also finds itself in a lot of conflict with Major League Soccer. So, you know, it's a head-scratcher at times. um, But, you know, depth will never be more important than it is in 2021 than at any other time, I believe, in, in in football, and that's not just not true for the U.S. That's, I think that's true. I mean, particularly for the U.S., but it's also true throughout the world. Yeah, absolutely. That's the one thing I think that is really going to be substantial here: the depth. And the other big question is: Will you be allowed to, you know, add on another player if you lose said player to either a, you know, uh, a leg injury? whether it be just a pull, uh, you know, a hamstring issue, uh, maybe, you know, uh, a head injury, a concussion, that you're going to lose him for a significant amount of time, not just for his club, but for the country. I mean, will FIFA allow an injury change to the roster in the middle of the international week that is on the calendar? That's also a big question. Yeah, I think that's too, but also too, you know, we don't know how the pandemic is going to, you know, progress and how it will evolve here. I think in regards to those specific non-COVID or coronavirus-related you know, injuries and such, I think people will probably adhere to the, the same protocol that they have and, and set a date and then evaluate each case you know, on a case-by-case basis. But what's interesting to me is how they're going to deal with the COVID situation. If it's still prominent, we don't know where it's going to be. You know, come next September, you know, obviously, and with most of our hopes, it's going to be on the wane and things will turn for the better. But it's still going to be with us, I believe, in some way, shape or form, but perhaps to a lesser degree. But still, it's going to have enough of a presence to have an effect on on these squads and and these rules and regulations. And, and, you know, credit FIFA, at least they and IFAB, at least they curtailed them for the 2019-2020 club campaign, which, you know, saw uh, more substitutions and, and allowed and, and kind of adjusting for the current situation and, and the tests and the rigorous difficulties that all these players are put through. So I'm interested to see how they're going to deal with that and, and how it's going to be dealt with and, you know, how it will be dealt with throughout, you know, differing confederations as well. It's going to hit certain areas. It's harder than other areas and certain areas of the world are going to be, you know, dealing with, COVID, I believe, longer than more developed nations will be, like those in Europe and here in the U.S. So, and and how does it FIFA adjust for that? It's a it's a huge problem, uh, way beyond my pay grade. <laughs> but uh, just hmm. just another thing that we've got to deal with. Another one of those repercussions from the year that was 2020, which is almost over, thank God. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I want to get rid of this year as much as you do. I've had enough. I've had enough of this crap. But um, if you think about U.S. soccer as a whole, though, this is going to be the most craziest year ever. We, I know we already talked about the Olympics quali- qualifying for the Olympics and then uh, hopefully performing in it. 
in Tokyo, the, the CONCACAF Nations League, CONCACAF Gold Cup, World Cup qualifying. Let's not forget, <clears throat> CONCACAF has to have their qualifying tournament for the FIFA Under-20 World Cup. That's going to be coming up uh, <laughs> this coming May and June um, in Indonesia. So for U.S. soccer as a whole, there are tons and tons of tournaments that they have to handle. Now, I know it's not going to be a part of you know, what's going on here because that's the age of 20 and below. But if you think about U.S. soccer as a whole, there's a lot of tournaments that they've got to fight for and, and contend for or qualify for just to be a part of it. Yeah. I mean, it's part and parcel of football in the modern day age. I mean, it, it, you know, you throw in a club fixture list that, you know, is not getting any shorter, even in the midst of a pandemic. And that makes it that much more difficult, but yeah, that's a good point. You know, the under 20 world cup qualification is coming up and you got to think players, you know, like we saw tonight, a lot of these players like Julian Araujo has got to be, you know, at the top of the list for these U S men's national team youth coaches, um, a player that's already on the radar also for Mexico as well. Um, and then that's another aspect that the U.S. has to deal with. When you've got players like you know Yunus Musa, as well as Julian Araujo, even Efrain Alvarez, and the likes, you know, eligible to play for other nations. And how do they go about handling that amidst you know the current state with the pandemic, with the you know the crush of games? You know, I think it could almost play into the hands of the U.S. in that regard. Where hey, you know, you've got so many opportunities, you can make. You make some good inroads with these players that we're thinking, you know, maybe I'll just try playing for Mexico. I may, the, gra- the grass may be a little bit greener over there. I may, you know, have a chance to get in the first team and, you know, and I'm, make my way either to, you know, World Cup 2022 or, you know, even USA, you know, 2026. Okay, now hold on, wait a minute. If, you know, if some U.S. men's national team youth coach or you know, even a Jason Christ at the under 23 level is saying, hey, I'll hand you a spot. You want to start for us and be part of my first team in Tokyo? And, in 2020 and put yourself in the spotlight, then that may ingratiate themselves to that player um, and, and get those players to be more inclined to play for the U.S. Because, to be frank, you know, we, we botched it a lot in the past where, you know, going back to the days, uh, you know, where the U.S. has missed out on a lot of talent that, you know, is eligible to play for us. And I think that's one thing I, I like about Greg Berhalter. He, he, he knew Efrain Alvarez wasn't going to be able to play. And, and then I forget that there was another player that wasn't unable to play as well, but he extended that olive branch, brought him into the camp and said, Hey, you know, this is what it's like. We've got a ton of games coming up. You may not be playing for the under 23s. You may not be playing for me, uh, you know, at, at the senior team level right now, but I want you to think about, Hey, this is how we do things. There's the under 20 world cup. There's Olympic qualification. There may be a role for you to play there. Once you get them, those players into that system, you stand a much bigger chance for them to continue on and make further commitments to the U.S. program than perhaps you wouldn't have in the past when you didn't have the opportunity to give these guys first-team football, whether it be at the under-20 level or the under-23 level or whatever. So a lot of fixtures you know, in the current pandemic, you can twist it and work it to your advantage and perhaps bring those players in and, and – you know, players that are that have high quality. And I've seen Efrain Alvarez play firsthand week in and week out. As a kid, I believe that's got it. He's got some issues, some challenges, but he's got something there to contribute. And, of course, you know, Julian Araujo and the like. So that could work in a positive for the U.S. That's the cope, and that's the case right there. And uh, hopefully we can <laughs> get that uh, everything 
glued together so that we can have a successful 2021, and then we'll worry about uh, what will happen in 2022 and beyond. But finally, if you have any final thoughts, Christian, please. What did you like? What did you dislike? And uh, and are we ready for a bunch of football in 2021? <laughs> well, like we were talking about, 2020, rearview mirror, forget that. Um, but 21 is going to be exciting, I mean. And what you know to ML just staying domestically, domestically with how MLS is going to go about its situation, all these games coming up, and then you know you, you take the looking abroad, and you know, as I mentioned, eight U.S. men's national team players into the UEFA Champions League knockout round. I mean, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a great time to be a football fan, and yeah, you know, it's going to be arduous circumstances but you know for us the neutrals and you know supporters of clubs like the Red Bulls and the Galaxies or whatever it's going to be a blast man I mean it's going to be so much football to watch uh, it's going to be on nearly every day and I'm just really looking forward to it after the you know a little bit of a, a respite in the holiday season get the vaccine going and you know let's get on with our lives and get on with the football in, in 2021. I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be uh, exciting to watch and everything. Christian, thank you very much for the time. I'll definitely talk to you during uh, the new year and maybe even a little bit before the old year is gone. Have a good night. Thank you again, and I'll talk to you again soon. Daniel, thanks for having me, buddy. Always a pleasure. All right. You take care. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Christian Miles formerly of Fox Soccer Channel, Fox Soccer, uh, LA Galaxy Radio, uh, play-by-play man, and does so much more over in Southern California. Of course, uh, it's always great to have uh, that man be on the show to talk about the game here in the United States. But once again, the final score is United States 6, El Salvador 0. And before I go, as that is the last national team game for... 2020. Um, wish there was a lot more to talk about, but we all know that this pandemic has really crippled, <coughs> excuse me, um, our lives and uh, you know our men's national team from preventing them from showcasing their talents internationally. But still, though, we have to say that what we have seen so far has been pretty darn good. Um, now, like I've said already. It is important to challenge the best nations in the world when you are facing them in either friendlies, qualifying, of co- you know, qualify for the World Cup and take care of them and go head on. I understand El Salvador is not a nation that is strong in this confederation or strong in the world. That's what we all said. Back in 2017, it poured down in Trinidad and Tobago where a B squad was very plucky and they found a way to beat us, got a deflection to get the first goal in there, but at the same time, our arrogance of assumption, assuming, what happens when you assume? You make an ass out of you and me. We did not qualify for Russia for 2018. We did not go to the World Cup in 2018. So this is where I keep saying this. And if you believe 
We should beat every team on the planet. Yeah, it's good to have that idea. It's good to think about that. It's good to say we can do this. But once again, if our national team goes into the mindset that it's a cakewalk, well then, the cake will be picked up and thrown in our faces because we had an assumption. You can't do that on the world stage. This is why I have always said, and you have to heed my words when I say this, one day, one day, we may not qualify for the World Cup. There will be that one day that we will not go to the biggest party in world football. It happened to England, did not qualify for the 1994 World Cup that was here. Italy did not qualify for the World Cup in Russia either. We must not assume it will be a destruction every single time. And the same thing happened in the CONCACAF Nations League group stage. We were able to destroy Cuba, but we couldn't destroy Canada. Even though Canada has seen some improvement. I know you laugh about it. But once that Canadian Premier League got underway, you're seeing players that are improving. There are some players that are playing in Europe, like, of course, Alfonso Davies, who was, uh, was a co-winner for the Canadian's uh, Male Athlete Award for 2020. He won not only the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich, also won, I also believe, the German Cup and also winning the UEFA Champions League. This is a you know this you know this is a guy that has become a major superstar for Canadians and at the same time Canadian national team the men's national team may have gotten a couple of picks stronger you cannot assume you cannot fall asleep on our neighbors in the north you cannot fall asleep with our neighbors in this confederation, in the Central American zone, or in the Caribbean zone. You give them an opportunity to allow them to catch you napping, they will punish you. I understand what everyone is saying. I've always understood what everyone has been saying, whether it be through Fox Sports, ESPN FC, CBS uh, All Access, or CBS HQ, NBC Sports Network, NBC itself, be in sports. It does not matter. It does not matter. Do not fall asleep on any opponent, no matter how poor or how fantastic they are. Go out there and show them why we are an upcoming and 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 an improving nation in the world game of football we cannot assume it's a cakewalk this one was however the route was on five goals in the first half one more in the second half to make it six altogether in the united states with an mls majority roster defeats el salvador six Nil. There's a lot of promise there that still needs to get better, to be nurtured, and to grow. If they have to go to Europe to improve themselves, then so be it. And that's why Brendan Aronson is going to Red Bull Salzburg. 
Maybe it's time for Chris Muller or Miller to go across the pond, across the Atlantic, and maybe ply his trade in Europe himself. Final score once again, United States 6, El Salvador 0. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. Join me the following Monday as we will review the MLS Cup Championship Final. The CONCACAF Champions League is back at single, single elimination tournament matches. And then, and then, we have one more regular show to do. Don't forget, MPSL Soccer Show next Friday as well as we get ready to move into 2021 and get better and improve. For Christian Miles, I'm Daniel Feuerstein. This has been the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. International friendly USA El Salvador postgame show. Thank you very much for listening to me. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now.